It's heard that Michael Rafferty, who was convicted in the killing of Tory Stafford, had been moved from maximum security to medium security. What would have been a word to describe how you felt? Angry. Okay, check that one off. Disappointed. Okay. Furious. Absolutely. Dumbfounded. Okay. There are all kinds of words that we could turn to. All of them would absolutely fit. Michael Rafferty, it has been confirmed, is now in a medium security institution. It is a correctional facility that specializes in dealing with sex offenders. How do you feel about that? Angry. Frustrated. Dumbfounded. Furious. Sure. Still the same. Why would this happen? Why would this happen? Well, we're going to examine that from a different angle in about a half hour from now on London Live. Because we're going to be speaking with Colin Lobo, who's a principal at Lobo Consulting. And what they do is they specialize in helping to build and create correctional facilities. So they're kind of at the outset of whatever is being done in corrections. Now, of course, the government, lawmakers, they're figuring out what they feel should be done. But in terms of carrying this out, in terms of looking around, making this work, that's where Lobo Consulting comes in. And so we'll talk about the difference between a maximum and a medium security and a minimum security facility. Because if you are to define right now what is a medium security facility, I can't do it. I could look it up. But if you're asking me to do it off the top of my head, no idea. Uh, It's a facility. It's not as harshly dealt with. No, I, I can't even do it. It's less security than a maximum security. Okay, sure. If we wanted to do that, we could. We're going to actually look at the definition between maximum and medium. So that's coming up on London Live again in about a half hour as we talk with Colin Lobo. We'll also talk about breaking out of prison because ultimately that has always been a concern. Escape from Alcatraz continues to be a famous story. The Shawshank Redemption continues to be a very popular movie, even years, decades after the fact. So what is it that makes that popular? Well, prison break. The show Prison Break was very popular. We're intrigued by these things. But one of the things that we're probably going to find out is that it isn't so much about keeping inmates in anymore. It really is about trying to rehabilitate them. And yet, if we look back to a conversation we had with Professor Michael Arntfeld from Western University, there are people who cannot be rehabilitated. There are people who have certain things going on in their brains that never change. Those things are who they are, and they can't think differently, at least not right now. So all of that is coming up in just a little bit. We are also going to talk about a question that I'm interested to get your thoughts on. If you were told that you could have a bed in a hospital, and let's say for whatever reason you needed one, so you need a bed in a hospital, you can have one, But the person who's going to be in the room with you is not the same sex as you are. So picture it this way. If you are female, then 
The person is male. If you are male, the person is female. We'll just we'll draw the line there because this is the conversation that they had to have in Winnipeg because that's exactly what happened. And it's you can go right now to globalnews.ca or you can Google globalnews.ca and you can Google Winnipeg hospital bed and it will pop up and you can look at the story right now. But it's interesting to see some of the things that have been said about this story. So we'll deal with that a little later on as well. When we were looking around at some of the veteran services about about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we were looking in London and we found a veteran service that we didn't get a chance to talk about around Remembrance Day. But I think it's worth talking about it still. And we're going to do that a little later on on London Live as well. But let's begin with baby names. You heard Jacqueline LaBelle in news talking about baby names and the most popular baby names in this area, the province of Ontario has broken it down. If you are to choose the most popular baby name, and I caution you, as a former most popular baby name, I really have to caution you here. If you are almost due and you're having a boy, you might want to name him something other than Noah. Because that's the most popular baby name in 2017 in London. And if you're having a girl, might want to not name her Olivia. Yeah, but wait, those are great names. I'm not saying they're not great names. They are great names. But when you choose from the most popular names, you tend to get into some complications once school arrives. Because let's picture roll call for a second. Benjamin, here. Alexander, here. Mia, here. I don't know if I did a good impression of Mia, so I apologize if I did not. Uh, Noah, here, here, here. That's the problem. You wind up with three Noahs in your class. And instead of just being Noah, you have to be Noah L or Noah Z or Noah A. And you're never you. You always share the name. So if you're choosing a baby name in the next little while, go off the board. Do it. Go off the board. Now, be careful. We are also going to get into some names that you should not name your children. In fact, We'll get into some names that should never be used at all. There was a list that came out a little while ago. We touched on it on London Live. We'll, we'll bring that back up again. But Noah and Olivia, most popular baby names in London. If you're wondering about southwestern Ontario, Noah comes in at number two. Olivia is still number one. Southwestern Ontario, it's Benjamin. So you may want to avoid Ben. We will talk with Minister Bill Walker in just a moment about baby names. We'll take a look at the last 100 years because that's what the province of Ontario has come out with today. And Bill Walker, who is the minister in charge of these sorts of things, believe it or not, Minister of Government and Consumer Services, joins us to talk baby names on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. There should be a class in prenatal. You know how you have to go to the prenatal classes? About baby names. Because they focus so much on, well, when the baby comes, and when the baby is coming, and do you want to have a pillow or a blanket, and where do you want dad to be at the time? Should he be behind you? Can he be in the room? They ask all of those questions. We need kind of a a little secondary graduate class before the baby comes, to talk about naming babies. Because it is so critical. You name somebody the wrong name, they will deal with that for the rest of their life. 
My wife's name is Kirsta, K-I-E-R-S-T-A. And even though there are others in the world, she was actually named after a, a artist that her mother and father really liked named Kirstead. So they really liked this artist. The artist is fantastic. They had a number of works of this artist in their house. And no complaints there, but she got everything from Keister to Beer Store to no one ever gets her name right. And it's always kind of been that whoomp to her. So you have to be very careful. Now, of course, her dad was out hunting with his buddies before she was born. And one of them had him convinced that if it was a boy, he should name him Mallard. So fortunately, she was a girl and didn't have to deal with that because I don't think that would work out very well at, at all. But you see what I'm getting at? You've got to be careful. If you make the wrong choice... The child lives with that forever. How many people hate their name? If you hate your name, please let me know what your name is. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. We were walking on Hollywood Boulevard a few years ago on the Walk of Fame thing with all the stars. And a voice from in behind us said, Hey, Mommy, look, is that who I'm named after? And the mom said, Yes. And I kind of turned around to see where they were standing because I was curious. I was really, really curious. And they eventually walked away, but I kept my eye on that star that they were focused on. And I wandered back. Jack Nicholas? No. Uh, no. Jack Nicholson? No, that couldn't be it. Uh, oh, here it is. Britney Spears. Yes, she was named after Britney Spears. Not as bad as Britney Shakira Beyonce, which is actually a name we'll get to in just a little while. But it's important to name your child the right name so that as they grow older, they don't have issues. It's important to name your child a good name, yet a unique name, so they don't have more of the same name in their class. Let's get to the most popular names in Ontario and why this province finds it useful to keep name information year after year after year. Joining us right now is Bill Walker, who is an MPP with Bruce Gray and Owen Sound. Mr. Walker, how are things? To do that. We are. It's uh, 100 years we've been tracking this, and uh, the, the list is out today. Well, okay, then Then let's kind of cut right to the chase. Most popular baby names in, and what What are we looking at here, in in what area? So, so for 2017, across the province of Ontario, the top uh, baby girl baby name is Olivia, and the top boy baby name is Noah. I don't hear... I don't hear Bill or Mike in there. Do you? Uh, well, I, I finished number four uh, in, in 2017, <laughs> and I'm just looking. Michael, you did not make the top 20, which is hard to believe, isn't it? Well, Mike has kind of been going out of fashion for a long time. I'm not ever sure it was in fashion. I know there were a lot of people named Mike because I was never in a class well, without another one. Well, but Over the top top 100 years, you're number four, and actually William is number six, so you beat me by one. Or hey! by two, sorry. We're talking with the Honorable Bill Walker, MPP with Bruce Gray, Owen Sound, and we are looking at baby names in Ontario over the last 100 years. How long did it take to put this together? Well, every year our, our ministry does it, uh, so in 
uh, service Ontario is where you register your, your baby name, uh, and we want you to do that within 30 days, and you can kind of bundle a number of services in there. So we've tracked it for the last 100 years, and, you know, with today's computer mechanization, it's pretty simple and easy to do. Well, good to know. If we go back over the century, is there a name of the century for boys and for girls? Uh, well, the the... the Girl name over the last hundred years is Marie, which ironically is my oldest sister's name. And for the boys, it's Joseph. Really? Okay. Joseph yeah. and Marie, top names of the last century. And that really does go back to about 1917? 1917, exactly. When we look at Service Ontario and the changes that have been made, what kind of feedback do you get about Service Ontario? Not just for baby names, but for everything. Well, generally pretty good. We, you know, we're again trying to always modernize and make it more efficient, make it more convenient for people. We're in a, in a big phase right now trying to modernize and, and take us digital. So people can go online, they can do it at their pleasure, and when they want to go into an office, they still get that good personal face-to-face service. All right. Well, maybe before we close out, uh, we're talking with Bill Walker, MPP, with Bruce Gray, Owen Sound, and we're talking, believe it or not, baby names. Can we hit on maybe the top five names over 2017, just so we see where the province of Ontario is recently? Absolutely, and I'm going to throw in one other zinger at the end as well. So for girls, we have Olivia's number one, Emma number two, Charlotte number three, Ava number four, and Amelia number five. And for the boys... Noah's number one, Liam, Benjamin, William at number four, and Logan. But I want to tell you, the top one in Sault Ste. Marie is Maverick. The top name in Sault Ste. Marie is Maverick. Yes, so we're uh, we're thinking that's maybe a bit of a top gun and probably better to be a maverick than a goose. <laughs> Mr. Walker, thank you so much for all your time today. My pleasure, Mike. I'll get uh, Jessica to flip that to you. That is Bill Walker, MPP, Bruce Gray, Owen Sound. Baby names. Maverick in Sault Ste. Marie. There is a Top Gun 2 coming up, but it's not even out. That doesn't even make sense. Maverick? Mav? I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, Names that have shown up. Reddit has done a very good job collecting up a lot of different names and has some really... Interesting ones on the list. Uh, This is maybe the best story of them all. A boy was named Clitus. Now, this is in the United States, Clitus. And so a nurse happened to walk by and, uh, and got into the conversation with the parents. They had a thick French accent. And she said, have you chosen a name for your child? And they said, yes, it'll be Clitus. And she said, It'll, it'll, okay, it'll be Clitus. And their last name was Wood. And she said that they told her they were naming their baby boy after their favorite actor, Clit Eastwood. Get it? I, this is apparently a real story. I'm not sure that it is, but apparently it is. Uh, other boy names you might want to stay away from. Gotham can get through because there are filters on different things. There are things you can't name your children. They will get caught up you know, like in Quebec. I don't know if this is, I'm sure it is in Ontario. You can't name your child Pepsi. You can't do that. There are names that you absolutely cannot use. Some of the girl ones that Reddit has uncovered over the last little while are maybe some of the worst. You remember the story not too long ago, about the little girl that was detained right before getting on, I think it was a Southwest Airlines flight, because her name was Ab City, which is A-B-C-D-E. 
The mom either thought she was being clever or why don't you just call the child QWERTY? It's easier to type. A, B, C, D, E is a lot harder to type. But one of the worst girl names, the mom liked the name Hazel. The dad, fascinated by Hell's Angels. And this is according to Reddit. I don't know a person who has this name, but Hellzel is what came out. Hellzel. They combine the two. You got to be careful when you do things like that. So be careful combining names. Be careful selecting names that rhyme. Remember Homer Simpson took us through that. Bart, Dart, Cart, E-Art. Nope, looks fine. And, and, and you can figure it out. But you have to be careful with those sorts of things. Be careful not to get too common a name, not too weird a name. This is why we need a prenatal class in all of this. I was never the only Mike in my class until I became 0926121 at Western University. Coming up, we are going to talk about a much more serious story. We are going to get into the difference between maximum and medium and even minimum security prisons. And take a look at where the prison system is headed with the help of the principal at Lobo Consulting, Colin Lobo, who's going to be able to assist us in understanding the differences between maximum and medium security. This, of course, goes back to the news that broke yesterday afternoon, and you heard it on 980 CFPL, that Michael Rafferty, who was convicted in the killing of Tory Stafford, was moved out of maximum security into a medium security prison that apparently specializes in dealing with sex offenders. Now, we're not going to get into the Michael Rafferty story with Colin Lobo, but I'm I'm really interested in hearing more about the goal of prisons, uh, the safety that exists within prisons now. The Kingston Pen is no longer a prison. It does not house anyone anymore. And a lot of times what you have is now newer, more modern facilities. Kingston Pen didn't have a computer system in it because the concern was that a computer system could go down and the prison wasn't designed to be able to deal with that. So in order to kind of document the movement of inmates, you used... Old-fashioned pen and paper. There was kind of a, a numbering system that they would make use of, but that was just in case the computer went down. Kingston Pen is not used anymore. Now we do have modern facilities. One of the things we're going to look at is prison breaks because, again, TV, movies, they become very famous. And they spawn all kinds of plot lines for TV and movies. How common are they? Anymore. Do we have prison breaks still? Do we have attempted prison breaks? There was a story, and I'm sure that Colin Lobo will get to it. Remember the helicopters that kind of dropped down into the yard? Who, how was this not tried before? You've got a yard full of inmates, and you know what? If we landed a helicopter and the person knew it was coming, they could just hop into the helicopter, whoop, we'd be out. So how do you combat that these days? We'll talk with Colin Lobo about that as well. And if you missed it, something we were talking about right about this time yesterday on London Live, we have had a city hall committee recommend to council unanimously in a vote that 446 York Street become the site of the supervised consumption site. That be it. And that's something that will go before council, but you have to know that if a committee has unanimously recommended this, the odds of council turning back on it 
are very, very slim. And that means that 446 York Street, that will be the spot. And John brought up some great points yesterday. And again, we took it back to that same old discussion about nimbyism, not in my back yard. This is not going to work anywhere. And John did ask a question regarding hospitals. Could this not be located in hospitals? And I, we did some checking around on this, did some talking about this, and the idea just seemed to be if you make something easier for somebody, if you make something accessible for somebody, they are much more likely to use it. And that's why we have this just on the edge of what we could call downtown London at 446 York Street. And I really think that's one of the reasons why it is in a building. The building does not house anyone else who would call themselves a, a resident. So that becomes an issue as well. <sighs> We have measurements of football fields here and schools here and there. This appears to be where it's going for starters. And then we wait to see what happens because I'm sure if you set it up, it would take a, a little bit of doing to move it. But if it really wasn't working out well and the city was getting that much feedback, I'm sure they would look at doing something like that. But 446 York Street and something we were talking about yesterday right about this time, that is the spot. We are going to take a break for news. Jacqueline LaBelle has the day's latest stories coming up, and then we'll get into that conversation about our prison system on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You know who you wouldn't want to be today? Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale. If you could switch spots with somebody, you know, we were talking about TV and movies and prison breaks a little while ago. There's always that stupid movie plot and i don't understand how this comes up why do we do this time and time again where you switch bodies with somebody after big with tom hanks that should have stopped it was done then thank you very much for coming never do this again freaky friday and all the stop just don't do that it's not worth it but if somebody i don't know if this is real i don't think it is but if somebody were to come up to you later today and say do you want to switch places with somebody? We have the magic to do it. Don't pick Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale because he, of course, is under fire for Michael Rafferty being moved to a medium security facility. It's a facility that specializes in dealing with sex offenders. But that certainly is not the only part of this story. The real part of this story is, why did this happen? Is this being overlooked at some level because we had Terry Lynn McClintock move to a, an Aboriginal healing lodge and then just a very short time after we find out that Michael Rafferty, the other killer of Tory Stafford, was moved to this medium security. We specialize in sex offenders. What's happening here? And that's what he's having to look at. And the only thing that he's been able to do is confirm where Michael Rafferty is and say things like, I will examine the facts of this case to ensure that all the proper rules and procedures have been followed and that Canadians are safe. The only reason we know about this is because Rodney Stafford is asked to be notified, the father of Tory Stafford. You heard from him earlier today on the Craig Needle Show. If you didn't hear that, I would encourage you to go to 980cfpl.ca and go to Craig's show page and listen to it. 
But that's one of the only reasons why we find out how many other people are being moved and crisscrossed and let's put this person here. And you don't find out about it. What are the procedures here? And that's something that Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale is going to have to answer to. And then you add in the fact that we have had a former Canadian diplomat who has been detained in China. Michael Kovrig has been detained, and this may have something to do with the Huawei situation. So Ralph Goodale is being asked questions about what's happening there. So his head seems to be spinning back and forth between reporter questions. If someone comes up to you later today and says, you want to switch places with somebody? Pick Tom Hanks. Don't pick Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale. Up next on London Live, we're going to kind of get an understanding of something, because immediately... When you hear that Michael Rafferty is in medium security, what are those words again? Anger. Dumbfounded. Furious. Those things immediately pop up. Because why is this happening? Why is someone who was convicted of committing a crime as heinous as that in something called medium security? Because we immediately equate medium and maximum and minimum with whatever we can compare it to. If you're doing the minimum, you're not doing much. If something is at a medium level, medium temperature, well, I can put my hand in it. If something is maximum, ooh, that's as big as it gets. That is big time. And that's where Michael Rafferty should be. But wait a minute. Do we fully understand maximum security over medium security? Well, if we don't, our next guest is going to help us because he deals a lot with all of the correctional facilities in this country and has a good understanding of what the goals are because he helps with the design. He's a consultant in that way. He's the principal at Lobo Consulting. Colin Lobo joins us in just two minutes on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Minimum, medium, maximum. They're words that come up. What would we get most often? Medium? Probably. But when you think about it, with a correctional slant, the worst of the worst need to be where? Maximum. Minimum security? Eh. Is that what we would call paper crimes? Things like that? Okay, sure. Do we fully understand the differences between medium, maximum, and minimum, though? That's something I don't necessarily think we do. I don't. I can't describe to you the exact differences, not without looking them up. So instead of looking them up, we have found an expert who deals a lot in consulting on correctional facilities all over the place, knows the ins and outs, and definitely knows the difference between maximum, medium, and minimum. Colin Lobo is a principal at Lobo Consulting and joins us now on London Live. Colin, let's kind of begin with maximum security. How do we define maximum security? Okay, well, uh, a maximum security facility is a secure facility. It has um, electronic, uh, physical, as well as operational measures to protect inmates as well as staff, as well as preventing anyone from any unauthorized individuals from entering the facility as well. So that's a um, tough one to get in and out of, it sounds like. That is exactly correct. Okay, so if, if that is a maximum, how do we drop down to a medium? What changes? 
Well, a medium security facility is still a secure facility. It often has the same levels of security in terms of it still will have electronic, physical, and operational measures. But the main difference is is that in a medium security facility, you may have a dorm-style environment versus a cell environment that you would see in a maximum security facility. Um, In medium, they may have... um, you know, more abilities to use programs and have a little more freedom within the facility itself. But in both cases, they're both secure facilities. So are we picturing then for maximum that inmates spend a great deal of time in their cells? Um, They may not necessarily spend all the time in the cells, but they're in a, a controlled unit. So after hours when, you know, they're going to sleep, they will go into a cell during the day, they'll be in, you know, what's called a day room, where they're, they are able to interact with other inmates. But in medium, there may be more interaction? Yeah, in medium security, they won't be in a cell necessarily. They may be in a, a dormitory, where it's a large room with lots of bunk beds, um, and it's more of an open environment within that unit itself. Okay. We're talking with Colin Lobo, principal at Lobo Consulting, about differences between maximum, medium. Let's get to minimum, Colin. How do we describe that? Well, a a minimum security facility would obviously have less uh, security measures. Um, They may not have the same hard surfaces that you would see in both maximum and medium security facilities. Um, And inmates in those types of facilities often have a lot more freedom. They are able to move throughout the facilities uh, freely, you know, sometimes under escorts, sometimes without escorts. Uh, But once again, it's still a controlled environment, just a lot more movement uh, within the facility. When we look at the creation of facilities recently, maybe not even recently, I can't use that word, but Kingston Penitentiary was closed. It was an older facility. If we look at at newer facilities, what are they kind of designed to do that maybe the older ones weren't? Um, Well, the traditional approach was always around uh, incarceration, and now there's a real focus on rehabilitation. Um, There's been, you know, with the older facilities, there's been a lot of vulnerabilities that, you know, um, have been determined over the years. Um, and with the newer facilities, it's creating more efficiencies, uh, creating a better environment for staff, for inmates, while ensuring the facilities are secure and eliminating those vulnerabilities that we have seen with a lot of those older facilities. We see things in TV and movies that basically start with the plot of a prison break or an attempted prison break. Do those things happen in real life? Uh, they they do. Um, it was only a few years ago that we saw um, two helicopter escapes from the prisons in Quebec. And uh, a few years ago, there was a prison break in New York that seemed like it was from the movie Shawshank Redemption. So they do occur. They are very rare. And most times when they do occur, they're more from the older types of facilities that do have some uh, vulnerabilities based on the, the nature of the facility, the architecture, the layout, the technology. Okay, so we can get into that for a second in a second, but I think you've intrigued a lot of people saying that one break was like Shawshank Redemption. Somebody tunneled through a wall? Uh, yes, um, they basically were able to um, remove the toilet and tunnel through a wall. Unbelievable. Just like in Shawshank, yep. 
We're talking with Colin Lobo, principal at Lobo Consulting, and we're talking about prisons. We're talking about minimum security, medium, maximum, and some of the things that haven't. Colin, you just outlined some of the factors in in trying to prevent prison escapes. With the newer prisons, is that kind of what they're there for, that that they have maybe a better system of keeping them, I guess, intact? That's correct. There's uh, there's more of that onion approach where, you know, you have different levels of security, um, and it is eliminating those vulnerabilities. So, for instance, you know, I mentioned the helicopter escapes that happened in Quebec. Newer facilities don't have this large outdoor courtyard where it could potentially allow a helicopter to land and pick up an inmate. The newer facilities, well, that courtyard is actually within the facility itself, and it's impossible for a helicopter or, or other, you know, device or uh, vehicle to actually get to those locations. Um, even the other barriers within the facility are a little more controlled. You know, we're controlling the inmates within their day rooms and not having tons of movement throughout the facility, which in itself is a vulnerability. So are these things that that have taken place over time with experience? Is is there just more attention being paid to how facilities work these days? Where would you pinpoint it? Um, I think it's been over the years we've seen a gradual progression where every new facility that's being built, it's taking into account lessons learned from the previous facilities. Um, And the other big thing we've seen is, you know, there's a real global awareness to make these facilities more focused on rehabilitation. And that's changed, you know, how these facilities have been built. Wow. Well, Colin, we really thank you for all of your time and expertise on this. Have yourself a great day. Thank you very much. You too. Colin Lobo, principal at Lobo Consulting. They deal a lot with the prison system in Canada in a consulting manner. So... Let's take a look at the breakdown of maximum versus medium. As Colin points out, there are the same levels of security as far as what is supposed to get in and what is supposed to go out. Main difference, dorm style versus cell style. And another very interesting thing that he points out, there is a push away from simple incarceration of inmates and a push toward rehabilitation. And somebody in medium security, as Colin pointed out, if you're just joining us, will have more access to services and programs. So now that we know that's where Michael Rafferty is, what do you think? If those are the descriptions, is that fair? Is that okay? You you okay with that? He is in a medium security facility, and that was confirmed by Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale that deals with sex offenders. Is this then okay all of a sudden? Is this Does it at least make more sense? Mr. Goodale says he's going to look into it. He's going to try and figure out what happened here, make sure everything went the way that it was supposed to, because this is a head-scratcher. Really? We had Terry Lynn McClintock, now we've got Michael Rafferty? Same kind of thing, being moved to a, a, a facility that would appear to have, I guess, more available to them. Now, Terry Lynn McClintock, after a public outcry, was moved back. So how do you feel about this? 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980CFPL. Got a couple of emails on this. One saying that... 
the uh, the different levels of prisons saying and describing what they are does not necessarily tell you what it's like to live inside. According to this email, most people in maximum security spend almost as much time in their cells as someone who is in segregation. And this person emailed back and said, one more thing, the size of the cells, think of the size of your main bathroom. Now, think of double and triple bunking that does happen in provincial, federal, and and those sorts of facilities. So... That's that kind of paints a, a picture. We didn't paint a picture of what it is like to be in a prison. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with your calls next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Got a question from James that I'll try and get an answer to. Does it cost the taxpayer less to house someone in medium versus maximum security, does it prevent assaults? He says, if the answer is yes, I'm okay with it. We'll look to see if we can get an answer on that. 519-643-2222. Ted, how do you feel about this situation? I, uh, the only time it doesn't cost the taxpayers money is when the, when the prisoner is released or the prisoner is dead. Uh, I, I can't understand. I think it's a, that was a bureaucratic error in the, in the, in the correction system. When you, a lot of people don't realize the government is run by the bureaucrats who are not elected. They're, they they simply get the job because they're, they're either good enough to get a job or they know somebody. And the, a lot of times the the MPs who can't be informed of this stuff, or they don't want to inform them. Be, uh, so I think that, that the, the big problem is, is corrections itself, the way it's run. Well, and that's something that may come out of an inspection now that we've had a second case where somebody said, hey, how did this happen? Well, so you see, they don't want to punish anybody. Because back in the, in, in the early days of Pierre Trudeau's government, there was a justice minister or a attorney general who says, it's not about retribution, it's about rehabilitation. Well, you can rehabilitate some criminals, but there, there are certain people who are just not. There's not of people of... of you know, changing. So you have to protect society from these people. And Mr. Goodale seems awfully flippant about it. And uh, you wanted to blame the previous government, but maybe they were partly at fault too. But that that is so flippant and so so small. He he just looks like more of a you know. He doesn't look very uh, let's say uh, statesman like when you say stuff like that. Ted, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Brian, how are you? Well, I choose to see a silver lining on this. I like silver um, linings. Lay it on us. Well, it's it's a little bit of a dark silver. Uh, Rafferty now has less personal security on a day-to-day basis, especially when he's sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I don't think in recent memory there has been more of a heinous criminal than him. He's even hated by other sex offenders. There you go. So I don't see this as being a long-term problem. So if you were him, you would be saying, you know what, uh, that maximum, that, that's, uh, that's where I want to be. Yep, I don't, uh, this is not going to be an upgrade for him at all. Brian, thanks for the call. Cheers. 
519-643-2222. One of the things that you will hear if you talk with prison guards is that, yes, there is a dislike of anyone who is any kind of sex offender or who is a child abuser or who murders a child simply because a great deal of the population inside those prisons have been victimized by people like that at some point in their lives. So there is a great dislike. We will continue this conversation after news. Got to take a break for news. If you're on hold, please stay with us because I'd love to get your thoughts. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We learned a little bit more about maximum and medium, the differences, the similarities between those two types of prison systems. And as far as we know, and as far as we've been told, the level of security doesn't really change. It's more dorm style versus cell style, and it's the number of programs that are available to you, that sort of thing. Do you think that that is okay? And as Brian just pointed out, there could be a silver lining to this in, in, you know, in one retrospect. Let's talk more about it after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. That is next on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's continue a conversation that began just before the 2 o'clock news, and it does deal with the move of Michael Rafferty, one of the killers of Tory Stafford, to a medium security facility. That was confirmed yesterday. You heard it on 980 CFPL News. It was confirmed by Public Safety Minister Ruff Goodale. And now we've looked at the difference between maximum and medium. So same levels of security. You've got a little more dorm style in medium security, a little more cell style in maximum security. As we got from an email, those cells aren't necessarily very comfortable. Um, Brian called in and said, hey, if if justice kind of works its way through, he's not able to watch himself while he's sleeping. And he leaned that way. How do you lean on this? Is this okay? Is this an oversight? Is this a problem that goes right to the bureaucracy? As Ted said, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Thank you for hanging on on this, John. Give us your thoughts on it. Well, Mike, as far as I'm concerned, every one of these prisoners should have to earn their own keep. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm kind of sick and tired of the of the bleeding heart liberals being more worried about the rights of the prisoners than the victims and the taxpayers. We spend more money on prisoners than we do on our seniors, than we do on our vets. I'm tired of having my tax dollars pay to support these people. Instead of sitting and watching TV, getting your education while you're in there, put them to work. Make them earn their own keep and pay for their time while they're in there. You can, re- you can still rehabilitate them, but they should have to work while they're in there to do it. Okay, and I think you'd have a lot of supporters of that. I really do. It's something that we've tried at times in this province. It's gone away. It's not here now. But I think you'd have a lot of supporters for that, John. Well, I think so. And you know what? Why should our tax dollars pay for it? We pay enough taxes now. You got guys in prison that are getting, I mean, basically a free ride. They get three square meals a day. They're in heated, you know, rooms. You know, they don't suffer at all. You know, I mean, you know, maybe if you're a pedophile or what, you might get caught in the shower. But, you know... uh, that, that's the justice system. We have bleeding-heart liberal judges that are more worried about the prisoners than they are the victims. And, and this Rafferty thing is just a prime example. Where was, where was that little girl's rights? 
where was the rights for Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey? It cost $250,000 a year to keep Paul Bernardo in protective custody. You know, a buck and a quarter would buy a bullet, and I'll tell you what, I'd buy the whole box just to make sure that it worked. John, thanks for the call. 519-643-2222. Do you agree with John? I mean, do we have to look at that aspect of our justice system? I want to bring up something that Ted kind of alluded to and talk about it in a minute. But, Cam, thank you for hanging on. How do you feel about this? Well, my question is, is when did they build this special facility for sex offenders? I was always, like a lot of people, I think I was under the impression that these sex offenders would go to jail and other cons really didn't like them, so they were under the fear of getting the crap beat out of them. Yeah, you know what? And, you know, I've toured through two prisons in Ontario. I got to tour through Kingston Penn. I got to tour through Millhaven. And without coming right out and saying it, the guards that were in there alluded to that. Well, why do we have to make a, make a special place for these, these people that really can't be re- rehabilitated? It's like we feel sorry for them and we're trying to make a nice place. Yeah, I'm. Hey, I'm. I'm not disagreeing with you because medium security, dorm style programs available. What John was just talking about is not wrong. You can go out and get an education. You do get those three squares. The bed's not completely. This is not Alcatraz. If you've toured through Alcatraz, if you've been out in San Francisco, that's not what these prisons are like. So exactly. That's, and that's what I think. That's what it should be. Punishment should be punishment. It shouldn't be just the fact that you. Have, oh, okay. Now I can't go out at night. <laughs> you know, that's and that's what it seems to be. And, and that that's kind of a frustrating element to it. I I've looked up La Macaza, which is where uh, Michael Rafferty is apparently being held, and it is in the Laurentian Mountains. So, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, it's. <laughs> I'll have to find out a little bit more, but if we look at institutions, it is in Quebec, it is in the Laurentian Mountains, and it is about 190 kilometers northwest of Montreal. So that's where it is, standalone, medium security facility, open campus model, and its rated capacity is for 240 inmates. Wow. So. I, don't think that, I don't think that our, our correction system sends the proper message, you know, at least not to me it doesn't. Well, it's we just that, we heard a con- you know, we heard a consultant Cam talking about the fact that it's not about incarceration as much as it is about rehabilitation and that's something that sparks a whole lot of debate. Cam, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Take care. 519-643-2222. And again, there's a lot of that same sentiment. Well, why? And I want to get to what Ted had pointed out, retribution versus rehabilitation and a conversation that we had with Professor Michael Artfield not too long ago. Bob, what are your thoughts on this? Hey, first question, Mike, did you find that ultimate snow shovel yet? I haven't. And you know what? I, I haven't been forced to look for it because <laughs> it, it hasn't snowed much. But I am getting my winter tires on today. Good man, good man. Uh, yeah, a couple of callers ago. What was his name? Uh, uh, could have yeah. been Cam, could have been John. Yeah, maybe John. Yeah, he made some great points. Um. You know, I just got two words for for uh, people who commit crimes like this, and that's death penalty. Period. That that's my mindset. I think if you brought that back for certain crimes like this one, you would see a drastic, dramatic drop off 
and people going out and doing this because right now these pedophiles and all these other sick, well, I won't use the word on the air, um, are out there knowing that they're going to get this cushy treatment if they get caught, you know. And if you go down to Texas, you don't mess with Texas. You pull off this kind of stuff there, they're going to fry you or they're going to put you in the chair. They're going to, you know, put you on the table there, pump you full of drugs. You're going to be bye-bye. Uh, I think maybe even Florida does that. But there's certain certain places in the world even. You go out and you do that, and you know you're going to die. So, you know, we can thunder herd with these sickos that way. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at this crime, there's no more fitting punishment for this guy than the death penalty in my in my mind. And I know a lot of people will disagree with that. I know there's a lot of well, the liberal side. There's some people you just can't fix, you know. And, and why are we, like your one caller said, why are you and me and everybody else putting these people up? for years, 25 years, out of our taxpayers' money, protecting these people. Just get rid of them. Bottom line, get rid of them. We, don't, we won't even be having these conversations. And I don't want to have these conversations, you know. Nobody does. But take care of these people the way they should be taken care of, and, you, and our crime's going to drop, and we don't have to pay the bill. Bob, thanks for the call. All right. Take care. Now, I'll, I'll play the other side of that argument because that's kind of my job in an open discussion. If you go and you reinstitute capital punishment, corporal punishment, you will kill innocent people. Now, in the future, you know, there are technologies at the moment that exist and the way that we are being mapped from carrying around our cell phone that would help police officers in a big way. And I'm, I'm waiting for the day when those cross over. Maybe I'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. I do want to get to some emails that we received, especially one from James. First, one from McDuff that says, I completely disagree with the decision and think he, being Michael Rafferty, should rot in solitary confinement for the rest of his life or be put into general population and let them sort it out. Just my two cents. James has said, I'm really disappointed with everyone wanting him to be a That would probably cost the taxpayer more. We were founded on the idea of a humane society. Really disappointing. And that's one of the reasons why we do not have capital punishment at the moment. We do not have that. We do not have the electric chair because we are supposed to be above doing that. We are supposed to be able to to say, okay, people can be rehabilitated. People can make mistakes. There are enough ways to die. And I'm presenting a side here. There are enough ways to die in this world that do not come with being killed for committing a crime. If you can rehabilitate somebody, great. But here's the key. There are some people, and I firmly believe this, and in talking with experts, they have expressed the same thing. There are people whose brains do not function in the way that everybody else's brain does. And those people cannot change the way they think. They cannot change what gives them gratification. And because of that, they cannot be, quote-unquote, rehabilitated. You cannot change that. One day, we may be able to say, okay, this person has this particular disorder, and this is walking a very fine line again. We're getting close to a lot of very fine lines. But this gets to, if we have the ability to take the, and 
we can use any example here. Let's just call it murderous rage. Let's call it someone who you would classify as a psychopath, a potential serial killer. Okay? That's a nice, clean one to look at right now. If you had a serial killer and you could say, I can adjust their brain, we can go in there, we can adjust that, and they will not have those same thoughts. They will experience remorse. They will experience compassion. And it's just with this little tweak. Do we do it? Is that the way we rehabilitate in the future? Because right now there are some brains that cannot be fixed. They cannot be rehabilitated. You can go through all the programs in the world. I don't know the percentages on them. I'm willing to bet it's a small percentage compared to how many people we have incarcerated at the moment. So we're dealing with still a large population that can be rehabilitated, where a lot of that nature versus nurture debate is not in their nature, but in their nurture. This is the way they've been brought up. This is the abuse that they have been exposed to. This is all they've known. This is what they've had to do in order to survive. They are now in a facility and they are serving time for armed robbery, selling drugs, whatever it is. Those are the people that you have to look at and say, yeah, we can rehabilitate them. But I think it was Cam who brought it up. He's kind of surprised that we have a secure correctional facility specializing and dealing with sex offenders. I'll be honest with you, so am I. I didn't think that was a thing. But apparently in Quebec and the Laurentian Mountains, that's what we do have. I, I don't know much about that prison. Maybe we should try and find out more about that. If you have any thoughts, 519-643-2222. I do want to get into something that I listened to recently. And it does deal with, in a way, fighting crime. And it, it can't be used right now because of privacy issues. But we'll get into that in a moment. First, 643-2222, James, your thoughts. Um, there was, thanks for reading my email, by the way. I'm really disappointed about everyone who is uh, saying that he should be assaulted because that's just, you know, we, we are the better people here. We're supposed to be the better people and it brings back to mind uh, the incident at Gibraltar Trade Center where a man was seen walking out with a or, or rollerblading with a little girl. A little girl was holding his hand. And I remember all of the, the comments on Facebook were all like, I hope he gets raped. I hope he gets assaulted. He's going to get what he deserved, blah, blah, blah. And I was actually defending him on these these uh, um allegations chats and about you know this that that's not right you shouldn't be assaulting people whatever turns out that guy was innocent and the little girl even admitted that she went up to him and held his hand she was interested in his rollerblades or something like that and he was actually assaulted he was severely assaulted and it was uh, and afterwards that information came out and no one ever said sorry to him no one ever said and none of those people on the on the board were were ever uh, sorry for what they did and what they said and and how uh, how this all turned out and and a, an innocent man got severely assaulted and and spent time in jail. I mean, that's uh, we know Rafferty isn't isn't uh, innocent. We know he's very guilty, but still, we don't assault people it's wrong we don't do that it's a crime when we do it it's it 
uh, it's a crime when he did it, when he assaulted that girl, and we don't do that. James, thanks for the call. And that presents that other side of things. You know, in order to say, as has been suggested, it's easy to buy bullets, in order to say, feed them to the general population, in order to say, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's what you've got to look at. And you've got to say, who are we as humans? Is that how we operate? If this world absolutely implodes one day and we lose all of our electricity and we lose all of our gadgets, that's where we're headed. We're not there now, but that is what we'll head back to. Ultimately, I think that's what we are, but we have grown beyond that. We can say, hey, we can follow rules. At the barest of bones, that's what we are. Our animal instincts kick back in. That's how the dogs run the show. That's how the wolves run the show. That's how the bears run the show. We are supposed to be beyond that. We're supposed to be above that. So then do we look at the world as James just did and say, we got to be careful with this. And being abusive to somebody or hurting that person or ending their life, does that make us better? That's the ultimate question that came about when we got rid of capital punishment. And that's what was decided. Yeah, we're better than that. We want to be better than that. Even if our, our root, maybe we aren't. But that, that was the decision then. More to come in a moment. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Our conversation about imprisonment, incarceration, has gone in a number of different directions. And thank you so much. That's, that's what we're here to do in talk radio. Express opinions, talk about things, maybe sort things out. It's like sitting back and, and having the problems of the world in front of you and you do your best to sift through them and, and try and figure out which direction to go in. Right now, I don't know what direction we're headed in in terms of Michael Rafferty. That will depend on Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale and about a, a kind of a checks and balance that they will go through again. Let's go back to the phones. 519-643-2222 to find out how you feel about this. Sean, what are your thoughts? Hey, Sean. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, uh, just calling, uh, just listening to, to this here, Mikey. Uh, I'm thinking here about uh, uh, talking about this uh, minimum, uh, uh, maximum, and, and medium, and minimum security. I just want to touch base a little bit on the uh, uh, the Dylan Millard and, and the Mark Smitches and uh, uh, the, the uh, Russell Williams and the Paul Bernardos. I think, uh, and, and all, obviously Rafferty, uh, I think that uh, at some point, some of these crimes, uh, you just can't rehabilitate some of these people. I mean, uh, Millard was given three consecutive uh, lifetime sentences there uh, back uh, a couple months ago. Uh, you know, and putting these people up uh, for that amount of time, I just don't think rehabilitating certain individuals like those four names are possible. And, and, you know, maybe the, the death penalty comes into effect uh, for, for there. But, but the question is, is for some of these minor offenses, uh, you know, wh 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 who makes that decision as to who's rehabilitated and who's not? Um, as for Rafferty, uh, you know, I, I, it's been, what, 10 years now uh, since, since he's been in a max security. Now he's been uh, drawn down to a medium security. Does someone think maybe that this guy 
is is going to be able to be uh, rehabilitated. Obviously, if they're they're downgrading him to a medium uh, security. That's kind of what it it spells out. Now it's a facility that specializes in dealing with sex offenders, which again I'd like to know more about. And we'll we'll try and and find out more information about that. But you're right. I mean that that's what it suggests, and that's what has a lot of people upset. And if you talk to people who who have looked at the human mind, there are those who that's where they get their gratification, and that's not going to change. You are basically a psychopath, and no matter what is thrown in front of you. That's who you are. That's the way your brain works. So you're right. Are there people that say, no, we, we can't do anything about these people? I want to know if you ask them, and do you want to spend the rest of your life locked up, or is there another alternative? I wonder what they would say. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a decent question. And I, I think some people forget, including myself sometimes, is, um, you know, being being in jail and in behind bars is you know you know it's great and you know we think that you know we get free food and and uh, you know it's it's a roll in the park with the with the TV and stuff like that. But you got to keep in mind, I mean, these some of these guys you know have their own kids and uh, you know they're they're not able to just go out and do whatever that they want to do. I mean, there's there's a, more of a punishment there than than you think about. And uh, you know, I was uh, I did a couple tours there in Kingston and. Uh, a lot of the fellows that work, uh, that do the, the volunteer tour, were actually guards there, there, or Millhaven, or wherever else. And, you know, they, they made it clear that, you know, uh, you know, it, it's a big punishment to be to be locked up. I mean, uh, you know, and like I said earlier, I think for certain individuals, it, it you know, the penalty needs to be uh, a little deeper than, than what we're seeing, that's all. Hey, Sean, thanks for the call. Hey, have a good day, Mike. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for all the thoughts. And I like the way that Sean ended off our conversation because as much as we do like to think, oh, it's a country club and all there's programs and all there's education and all there's food, I've been through Millhaven, I've been through Kingston Pen, and the amount of time that I spent in there is about all the time I wanted to spend in there. When they opened the door to leave, I was more than happy to walk through it. So, no, it's not a great place to be. Now, Obviously, you can't be in Kingston Pen anymore, but being incarcerated, I can't even picture that because we weren't. We were walking around. You saw individuals. I wouldn't want to be in there because you do have all of your freedom taken away. Is that enough anymore? That's the question we leave with. And I will try and find out more about La Macaza, where Michael Rafferty apparently has been placed. News is coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle, and then we will get to something that is more of a positive note. It deals with... Kind of uh, something that started to help veterans, and it's branched out into even more than that. So we'll tell you the story of something in London started to help veterans, and now it's it's servicing everybody. That story, before we close out on London Live, this is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One story we didn't get a chance to talk about today. I'll tweet it out so that you can at least read it, because we mentioned it earlier in the show on London Live. You can find it on globalnews.ca. But it's about a woman named Brenda Jones, and she's from Winnipeg. And she was told that she could have a room in St. Boniface Hospital. Great. She needed a room. She needed medical care. Fantastic. So for an overnight stay... She was placed in a room, and also in the room was a male patient. You think that's a big deal? 
Is it not a big I call me old fashioned. Would I would I feel uncomfortable? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I know there's a curtain, but still I yeah. I think I would feel uncomfortable. Would you feel uncomfortable about that? I'll tweet out the story. You can find it at Stubbs980, and you can take a look at it and see what you might think. In a moment, we are going to talk about a company in London that we actually discovered when we were looking at different services for veterans around Remembrance Day in the city. And we didn't get a chance to talk to them then, and... As a strange connection, Taz and Jim, who you can hear with Devin Peacock on the 96 take every day starting at 1230, they were doing, Taz and Jim were doing their drunk driving show on Friday. And then after that, Jim actually went and went to this very same location and got helped out. He actually got, was made to feel better after drinking too much thanks to a certain therapy. We're going to look at not so much at that angle, but I want to look at what they do for veterans. I want to look at what they're doing in this community in order to help out people who, who may lack medical coverage and benefits and that sort of thing, because that is what's happening. But it all started with a service for veterans. We have the story for you. Hopefully it's a bit of a feel-good story next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have some special guests in studio with us on London Live. Wendy Moore and Holly Oliveira from our clinic. Wendy is the vice president and Holly is the director and nurse concierge at our clinic. Wendy and Holly, welcome to the studio. Great to be able to have you here. We mentioned before the break, we learned about what you do around Remembrance Day when we were looking at veteran services in the city. And then we saw what you did for Jim Kelly after the drinking and driving show, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But I'm, I'm very curious to know more about the services that you do provide to veterans, because you've been doing this from the time that you opened. Wendy, how did that get started? Um, our founder, who is a brilliant and wonderful man, um, really realized that veterans weren't getting the level of care as easily and as effectively as potentially they could if a clinic existed that had multiple disciplines all under one roof. And to make it even easier for veterans, uh, our nurse concierge, Holly here, um, she liaises with Veterans Affairs as well as Blue Cross, their benefits coverer, and will do all the paperwork, will do pension assessments, reassessments, so it becomes a much calmer experience. And as you can imagine, people who have seen combat come back with some pretty complex care needs, both from a mental as well as a physical perspective. And as a result, sometimes that paperwork is just more than they're willing to do or even able to do sometimes. And so having that support network was was very beneficial for them. So it, it started as a, an idea, that kernel of wonderment, and uh, we found the investors, we found the funding, and we were able to put the clinic together so that we could uh, initially start out focusing on veterans. That's fantastic. Now, when you look at your role in this, Holly, can you talk about dealing with some of those veterans who are coming back, as Wendy suggests, from combat? What sorts of things were you able to help them with? Absolutely. Uh, so every appointment starts the same for everybody. 
we start just by sitting down in my office. It's a very comfortable spot. I try to make it very cozy. Um, we just start out by doing a mini head-to-toe assessment, uh, going through their concerns, um, any questions that they have about the clinic, um, and then we really get into where do they need help. Is it on the physical side? Is it on that mental side? Or is it a combination of both? Um, the paperwork that, like men- Wendy mentioned, is one of the biggest um, barriers, I find. So more paperwork than if somebody had walked in off the street? Honestly, it's pages and pages of paperwork. Um, getting from finding, being able to find a doctor to fill it out to uh, the portion that they have to fill out on their own, it, it can be very overwhelming. So I've gone through that paperwork uh, probably hundreds of times and kind of perfected the process of it so that we can sit down for about a half an hour and get all of that paperwork filled out done. And it's it's off off their hands. They don't have to worry about it. And what does that do for them that maybe wouldn't happen in other places? Yep. The way that uh, Veterans Affairs works with um, providing benefits for veterans is through what's called a pension assessment or medical questionnaire. So they are awarded or pensioned with a condition, whether it be PTSD or say it's something, a physical injury like uh, mechanical back pain, something like that. Those are, that paperwork is used to award the veterans with that service um, or that diagnosis, which then opens up what services are available to them, whether that be physio or uh, seeing a social worker, psychiatrist, those kind of things. Holly Oliveira and Wendy Moore joining us from our clinic as we look about at something that has been growing in London and began basically helping veterans who either had just come back from combat or who had been in this area for a period of time. And now, Wendy, it's kind of branched out. You've been able to help people who maybe weren't able to get care in other ways. Can you tell us about that? That's very true. We um, had some good successes with with our veterans. And in the process of sort of examining how we present care um, as a team, looking at sort of the 360 of, of people's wellness, we realized that civilians were equally in need. And so we, we branched out. We started uh, offering the services to civilians. We've got a, a fairly hefty civilian population at the clinic these days. And one of the things that was very important to the entire staff, as well as the founder of the clinic, uh, was being able to give back to the community. So we developed what we call the Rebuild Program. And the proceeds from the clinic go into the Rebuild Program. And that Rebuild Program allows us to give care, um, whether it's dietitian or physiotherapy or chiropractic, to people who don't have extended benefits or are in a financial position that they can't afford the care. As you can imagine, somebody who is ill or has been injured who can't get that kind of care stays ill or injured multiple times longer than if they can actually access that care. So we have, it's almost like a Canadian tire money kind of thing, where when our patients come in, they get a portion of what was spent at the clinic back in their hands as rebuild dollars, and they can save up those rebuild dollars and then give them to a family member or a friend who doesn't have benefits Um, And additionally, uh, we also accept applications as a referral from social agencies or from physicians, and the people would come into the program that way. So there's kind of two different ways that people can get into the rebuild program. 
Interesting. Wendy Moore joining us. Holly Oliveira joining us from our clinic. Now, if we're to picture, you've you've kind of outlined what sorts of things are under the umbrella of our clinic. Holly, how how does how do we picture this? How do how do you describe when somebody says, "What is this that you do?" How do you tell them about it? We start off. We describe it as a multidisciplinary clinic, um, and it's really interdisciplinary because all of the practitioners in within the clinic are able to talk to each other to really build and and optimize a treatment program for somebody. So um, you might go might go see a chiropractor somewhere else, and maybe you're seeing, um, say, a massage therapist somewhere. Another location. At our clinic, we're able to have those practitioners optimize your treatment plan. They're able to talk to each other, and I've I've heard it before when we do case studies or we'll do a review, um, and they're just coming up with brilliant things that they normally would not be able to come up with on their own because they're they're feeding off of each other's expertise. So whether it be dietitian for say sleep or hor- hormone therapy or um, chronic pain, that the dietitian can actually work with say your physiotherapist or chiropractor, all of those things. So it's it's very connected. Gotcha. And do you get a referral from a doctor as you would for physiotherapy or for massage therapy or things like that? You definitely can. Uh, so whether it's coming from a physician, nurse practitioner, it all depends on if that person is using their benefits. Do they require that? Uh, referral, but uh, people can walk in and they'll just come in and sit with me for that that hour of an assessment, which is free. We were listening to Jim and Taz on FM ninety six, and and they were talking about IV therapy. That's that's something else that you offer as well. It's um it's a vitamin therapy, and it is delivered intravenously. And the the value of that is that it bypasses the digestive tract. So for people in in the instance of Taz and Jim who had enjoyed way too many beers on air during their drink and drive broadcast, um, for for somebody who's had that hangover, what happens to them is they actually become severely dehydrated. And a whole bunch of how you feel when you have a hangover is a result of that dehydration. Um, when you drink about 300 milliliters of beer, you actually pee out 320. So so people don't really understand how how something like a beer can dehydrate you because it's all liquid, but it's because of what it does to your body. And so that dehydration gives you the headache, gives you the gummy mouth, makes you feel sluggish. Uh, and so having the hydration that comes from the vitamin therapy uh, helps you overcome all of those symptoms. It doesn't cure a hangover, and it certainly doesn't sober anybody up, but it does get you back to being yourself a little more quickly than would normally take. We also uh, use it for athletes. Uh, a lot of the athletes who really overextend themselves uh, have what I'm going to call a poor diet. They'll disagree with me that it's a poor diet, but you know they they're so focused on their shape and on their competition and and that kind of thing that they're really not engaging with all the food groups in in a way that a dietitian or Health Canada would actually approve of. So they wind up being deficient in the vitamins and minerals that their body needs to work at its optimum. And of course, when you're sweating, when you're competing or when you're playing athletic games, you're dehydrating yourself again. And a lot of people just will drink water, but water doesn't actually contain all of those amino acids and minerals and vitamins that you need to have your body work properly. So the water will put moisture back into your body, but at the same time, you're not getting all of those little teeny things that are actually the, the whole function 
Um, Holly, there's some other uh, more medical reasons that it gets used as well. Definitely. Things like uh, Crohn's and colitis, um, malabsorption through those diagnoses. So uh, somebody who has either Crohn's, colitis, they're able to get the IV infusion and that way um, they're able to absorb it because it is bypassing the gut. So it's going straight through the vein and that way we can ensure that they're getting more of those nutrients. Fantastic. Well, we've learned a lot already. If someone was looking to take advantage of, of what you do, maybe they are a veteran, maybe they are someone who has difficulty with health benefits, Wendy, what should they do? Uh, they can certainly reach out to us by phone at 519-937-1881, or they can visit the website, which is ourclinic.life. Uh, there is a book and appointment tab on the left-hand side, um, and they can even just pop in. Our, our people at the front desk are more than welcoming. They're, they're wonderful people. And we are located at 215 Fanshawe Park Road West, which is about five minutes west of Masonville Mall. Thank you for being here today. All the best through the holidays. Thank you. You too, Mike. Wendy Moore, Vice President of our clinic, Holly Oliveira, Director and Nurse Concierge, learning a little bit more about how something that started in the form of helping veterans and those who maybe couldn't afford medical costs has kind of spread through the rest of this city. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So far, for 10 years now, I've been ducking getting a dog. I have a very understanding family. They're the ones who want the dog. Here's another reason why I don't want a dog. New Jersey. Last week, a woman goes to the dog park with her dog. Uh, her name's, or the dog's name is Duke. We're walking along in the dog park. Of course, when you're at a dog park, you can let the dog off the leash. That's what she did. Duke went running around, frolicking, playing with the other dogs, doing whatever it is that dogs do. A lot of sniffing involved. And then all of a sudden, this other dog beelines toward it, and they start a fight. And her dog is hurt pretty badly. He's cut. He's got some problems. And she runs over. Of course, the other dog runs away. And his owner is a woman, and the owner eventually calls the dog. Hey, come on, this probably happens more than than you want to believe. Come on, come on over here. The woman picks up her dog. The dog's injured. She carries the dog, puts the dog in her car. This woman comes over and says, "Here," and hands her three hundred bucks, and then drives away with her dog. That this woman feels was probably a pit bull. She has to go to the vet. Vet bill? Any guesses? Had to get two dozen stitches. Any guesses? We're into four figures, aren't we? $3,000. So the 300 bucks didn't really make much of a dent. The dog owner, Duke's owner, happy that Duke is still alive, she says he's part of my life. But now she's left with, how do I find the owner? What? This person ran up to me. I was distressed. The dog's in distress. You got to get to a vet. Here's 300 bucks. Do you go back to the dog park hoping that you find? I don't know what you do. This is reason 746 why I don't want a dog. There we go. Okay. Reason 747 will come up sometime soon, I'm sure. And I'm not trying to be mean. Dogs are great. Dogs are great to visit. We may look after a dog during the holidays. Dog's name is Pugsley. How cute is that? 
We might babysit a dog. You don't want us to babysit a dog, by the way. We did that once with somebody's dog. It was like a $6,000 dog. I didn't know you could have a $6,000 dog. I barely have a $6,000 car. Barely have a $6,000 house. What do you have a $6,000 dog? We looked after it. We almost killed it three times. Got off the leash. And then there was the cob of corn incident. Never feed your dog. We didn't feed it, but it took a piece of corn out of the little basket that we had to put in the compost. I don't want a dog. And that's reason 747. I just don't. I just don't. Okay, reason 748 will now come up tomorrow. Coming up tomorrow, Devin Peacock will be in on London Live. And then on Thursday, lots to come on the show. Uh, we've we've got somebody who can teach us how to go through a roundabout properly. And so that's one of the things that we're going to focus on because I don't think any of us are doing it right. Thanks to Matt McKinnis for his help today. London Live brought to you, as always, by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick are next with news on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.